This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Several Points from Which to View While Pursuing and Perfecting Your Purpose. And our author, I will say a colorful character, is Texas Jack Cowan, who joins me from the great state of Texas. Welcome, sir, to the program. Good morning. Yes, this is an interesting title. Uh, There's an interesting character on the book cover. Is that a photograph of you by any chance? It is a photograph of me. Your did bo- public speaking at one time. The back of your book says this. Texas Jack Cowan is over 80 years old. Spent one New Year's Eve in Hong Kong, one St. Paddy's in Dublin, shot a zebra in South Africa, and there's a mountain in South Africa that's named after you. You have uh, a very colorful, colorful approach to life. How did this book get written, Jack? Well, it was written to pay a a uh, debt that I owed to about a dozen people that showed up in my life, and let's call them mentors. Hmm. They gave me a lot of direction and input because I ran away from home at 14 years old and was very bewildered and in search of somebody that could help me. And, And these people showed up one at a time over the next 40 years, about a dozen of them. The first one as the book state was my great-grandmother, which was an interesting situation. It's a very colorful old lady in and of herself. It just kind of gave me some direction and an anchor. You've uh, you've included in your book a lot of what I would call Texas uh, sayings or, you know, it's just just things that, that are part of the culture, perhaps. Uh, he who last laugh is usually the dumbest. Don't be greedy. We'll all only get one grave. You have uh, sayings like that that you've included. Um, What of those sayings do you think is the most startling or most amusing that you have uh, have incorporated into your lifestyle? Well, most of it is 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 that that pursuit of your purpose. And I have tried to direct the entire book for that reason. As I stated, my mentors told me all I owed them was to past what they shared with me, and they've made a big point about the purpose situation. And as I state in the book, we're not, this this earth is not our home. We're foreign exchange students down here. Hmm. We, we all are sent here. No two people look alike and act alike, and there's nothing about us that is completely exactly like the other person. So in my mind, and what the people taught me as I was growing up, that everybody is the most important person in the world because of that with a duty and a gift. But the gift does not belong to us. It belongs to us to give to the other people who we are and what we are and what we can do for them. So even though there are some colloquial expressions in here like, uh, let's see, uh, uh, wouldn't that blow your dress over your head? That's an unusual unusual saying. And I love this one. If you the old great grandma. Yeah, if you're not going to sow, don't plow, don't gossip. In other words, those are some some great phrases that you have uh, have uh, developed or or shared. 
Yes, it, and it, if you've read any large parts of the book, it, it's scattered through there. there. There is that's part of the thread, but the main thread is is the, the purpose situation. And who do and you? Mine, my gift was conversation and persuasion. I was a salesman all of my life, and it just. There were different things that I was involved in, as the book states, about what my career involved. But each step I took in my life, there was a mentor who was there. And I don't know, I think it's some old Eastern uh, philosophy that says, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And that's what happened in my life. Uh, You've uh, written just uh, under 100 pages, so this is not a long read. But uh, when you began to write this, how long did it take to get all of these sayings and, and stories together into a, a book form? Jay, I started putting these things down as notes as much as 30 years ago. Mm. And with, with some intent, you know, to use it and pass it on to other people. And all during that time, people would say, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. Why did I wait until I was 80-some-odd years old to make my mind up to do that? Uh. I can't answer that. I think, as I say, it was a duty that I felt at some point, okay, I've got the time and circumstances where, as a book state, I'm self-unemployed now and, uh-huh. and haven't been for nearly 20 years. And, and But that was made possible by the things these people taught me for making a living and helping people which I have done my very best to do, and that's what the book's all about. Uh, you have mentioned that you were a public speaker. Uh, were some of these, these are some of the phrases that perhaps you used in your, in your public discourse. Oh, yeah. I was very lucky to get acquainted with the, international, the president of the International Speakers Bureau. Her name was Dottie Walters. She, she passed away in 2002, but I was working on that part of my life back in the early 90s. And she is the one that gave me the Texas Jack moniker because she said that the, I sounded like uh, name Rogers, uh, yes. Will Rogers, right? And Blas Ambrose and Mark Twain. She said you talk like he did, like those people do. You tell stories while you're talking. You have uh, you have also included personal stories of your family and uh, some difficult times that you went through. But in spite of that, you have managed to have a positive outlook. Yes, and that was infused in me by these people. They told me, you know, you, you, you've got to get up when you fall down. And I wasn't taught that at home. I did not have a good relationship with my father, and that was, I'm not putting all the blame. that He didn't have one with his father either, so I don't know how much that's inherited or you, just environment that you get exposed to. But uh, thank God these people showed up in my life and made the difference. I mean, it's it's... Without any college education, as a book stayed, my wife and I, we will be married 59 years next month. Congratulations. But, uh, it, uh, we have worked together. We had two sons, and they're both lawyers. They each have two daughters, and they're all college educated. So it's been a wonderful ride, and things worked out real well for me. But I give all the credit to those people who showed up in my life. And all they asked of me was, pass it on. Pass it on. Uh, Gran- Granny Savannah was, was the key character that uh, laid the foundation for she you. She was a colorful old character. Yes, she was. <laughs> where, was she, where was she born? Where did you uh, interact with, with your grandmother? Uh, she was born in Alabama. And, of course, my, she had my grandmother and other children. 
and uh, all this part where she told me what she did about that I was had something the other children didn't have that she was living with my my grandmother, and that's when the, this occasion happened. We were in the yard playing, and she my my given name is Jackie, and and I don't know how old you are, but and you may not remember how old people dressed in those times or how they looked. Little small woman dressed in black, they dressed them up under her chin and, and uh-huh. all the way down to her shoes. All you ever saw <laughs> was her face and her hands. Very strict old lady. So, and but she made the reply that I stated in my book about I, I, that I have something the other children do not have. I was talking about my my nephews, no, my, not my nephews, but my cousins. That I was playing with at the time. And that's where the statement in the book come from. You've got something that, that the other children don't have, and whatever you do, don't disappoint Mr. God and me and mess it up. Wow. And you can imagine, I was about maybe six or seven, how that impacted me. That is that is a powerful statement. Yeah. You never know what your words can do to impact another individual, and and uh, that well, certainly and, underscores and that's it. it. Jay, we have to be so careful when we're talking to other people because we do have an impact, especially as we get older. Yes, and and as an example, and as a uh, hopefully a positive influence too on those that we uh, we come in contact with. If if you don't, you're going to have to pay the price. <laughs> Now, what what do you want readers to take away from this book? I know that your insp- the uh, the intent is to inspire people to make great choices and and also learn from your stories. Is there anything else that you think comes through in your book? Well, I think the sayings, and I, I think what your your remarks have been about the, those things that I say, they are pertinent. They're obviously they made some kind of impact on you that you would bring that up and more than more than once and say you know where did all that come from? Well, that was the type of things that were said between older people when I grew up, and they were it was just nearly automatic. That the things that they said, but I took them and put my spin to it. And when you get over and further into the book, you see those laws according to Texas Jack. But that's my spin on what the words that I used to, that I explained the laws according to Texas Jack. I don't know if you read that far. Haven't gotten that far it's yet. A uh, long, yeah, share a couple. It's, share it's a, a couple of it's those. A long dissertation. Yeah, and it's just things that I'm trying to hit you right between the eyes and make, hey, stop and think about what this is all about. We're not here that long. This is not our home. We get there's a reason why we're here, and it is to help others. Would those uh, be the laws of giving, laws of useless legislation, those types of things, the law of revenge? Are those some of those key elements that you mentioned? Yes, yes, yes. Law of giving, don't wait until you're asked. Good, solid advice. Yeah, that's what it was all about. And whether that was given to me in that, that same context, I don't know, because I have a, a, something in my mind causes me to twist and turn. It's stories, Jay. I mean, that, that's what impacted me when I read anything or I attended any kind of seminar or listened to somebody talk. I was paid more attention when they combined it with a story. Beautifully put. You have uh, you have some very fine sayings in here. The law of pride. You can't win seeking credit. Something you have personally learned, I'm sure. Yes, sir. Obviously. How would you introduce this book and to someone? Yes, sir. How would you introduce this book in a couple of sentences to someone? Get them interested in getting their own personal copy of your book. Well, everybody 
as I see it in the world we're living in now, at my age, there's a lot of turmoil out there and, and very little peace. You can't turn on that the radio, the TV, or talk to anybody that they're they're not worried or discontent about how the world is going. This isn't a bad world. I mean, we all these kinds of things are going on in a different context from the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. It's but we're taking it differently and acting differently than what I grew up in the, the world I grew up in. I was born during the Depression. It was. I know we we call one thing that was really bad because you know. I, I had a place to live, a mother and a father, although I didn't get along with the father. That, that's a pretty general story in East Texas, people that, you know, they either love their father to death or they hate him. Well, I didn't, I didn't do either. Yeah. I just, I just packed up and left. But that is very sad in that context, but that, has, that, that is absolutely minor to what kind of problems we're facing today in our society, the way behavior is going. Uh, you know, a gunshot makes more noise than a thousand prayers. Uh, true, true. Your book is an inspiration uh, and and an observation point for sure. The title again is several points from which to view while pursuing and perfecting your purpose. And the bottom line, while pursuing and perfecting your purpose, is the general and most important intent of your book. Then. That is correct. Where do they get copies of your book, Jack? Barnes & Noble has them. Hastings has them. Of course, Arthur House. They, you can buy it through Arthur House, or you can get the ebook through uh, Amazon.com. Um, well, I think you can also get that Barnes & Noble. They have what's called the Nook. You can get that it's there. And um, I suppose... Well, they can do it. That's about they... the extent of... Well, they could do a search under your name. Your name is distinctive, Texas Jack. Yes, yes, yes. They, they could pull up Texas. Uh, I they would just type in Texas. I do not have a website. I mean, at my age, you know, I hadn't found that to be advantageous or even desirable <laughs> on my part to pursue that because just one other thing I've got to crowd into my life. Some, some learn. Yep. I, I, have, I don't have time for the pain. That's okay. They can still find you under Texas Jack Cowan. And uh, Jack... Is there a possibility there may be a follow-up story that you might want to share in writing? Well, I had thought when you get old, the part of all those laws according to Texas Jack, I thought I might make another, but more laws according to Texas Jack. And but you know, at this age, I don't know that I will have the time or the patience to to do a follow-up unless you know this thing does go a little bit more viral, as they say in the vernacular, the world <laughs> we're living in now. And I have no idea or any large ambitions. Jay, I would be satisfied if it was only one person that got the same message out of it that I got from those same the people that I'm sharing their stories with. It's just one person got that. That would make it worthwhile for what I've done. Jack, thank you for taking time to uh, share your story and uh, share some insight and the wisdom that you have not only learned and accumulated but have passed along. Thank you for sharing several points from which to view while pursuing the perfecting of your purpose. Thank you, sir, for being with us today. Thank you. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? 
The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Parker. The title of the book is I'll Still Be Me, and we're hearing in the background the musical talents of our author, Ruth Allen. Ruth, originally from Great Britain, now residing in California, welcome. Share with my listeners a little of the background of your life and why you chose to write your biography, I'll Still Be Me. Well, tell me the truth, Jay. I, I didn't intend for it to be published. I had no idea it would be published. I wrote it at a very bad time. Um, I was very down, and I was in England and living in a cottage by myself, and I had to... It was cathartic, literally. Mm. And I started writing. I thought, well, I'll start at the beginning when I was born and, and, and just get it all out of my system. Let me mention this. Let me also mention this to my listeners because you, you are a youthful-sounding lady, and I don't mean to uh, say you're not a youthful lady, but you do, <laughs> you do disclose in your book that you were born in 1929. That's, That's uh, right, a sweetheart. wonderful And history. I had a birthday just last week. Ah, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> no, I certainly don't feel anywhere near my age. I just, I just don't. In fact, my doctor told me when I was 84, she, I said, my, well, well, doctor, I'm 84. She said, Ruth, you are not 84. <laughs> no, that's so, true. So, um, no, I, I don't even think about age anymore. It's just, I'm just enjoying what I'm doing. And how much time did you, or when did you begin your music career? Because your musical career spanned, uh, of course, many decades, and you're still active. You're still very vibrant as a musician and singer. Yes, absolutely. Thank God. And I do thank God every day, because I'm a very, very lucky woman. Um, no, if I tell people my age, and I've never lied about it, hmm. um, they just are so incredible. You know, incredulous because I, I know I don't look my age, but that's that's in the genes. <laughs> but um, I started when I was fifteen. Actually, it was my first professional job, and that was during the war. And you um, know, my girlfriend and I went for an audition and won it. And so we were put in this show during the war. The big theaters, big cinemas. Some of them were three thousand seaters. It was wow. one of ours. The one that we did. And um, we were on the stage every night for two weeks, and we earned twelve pound a week, Incredible. which was a fortune. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, and that started me off. I knew that's what I wanted to do forever, you know, if I could. And what did you do following that performance? That that booking. 
Well, we um, we were booked in another theatre. We did the Kilburn Empire um, with with um, a, a girl band, and I can't remember her name. It's one thing age shows is you, your memory gets, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, well, I didn't continue because our mums got so worried about us every night having to come home through the raids, mm. which were awful. I mean, it we weren't scared, only to dodge the shrapnel that was coming down as we were walking, because they'd close the underground the minute the siren went off, and it did every night when we were on stage. And um, But the place, the theatres filled because people just wanted to forget, you know, for a little while. And so it was a great big stage show that went on for about an hour in between movies. So it was a great start. But then I, and when I was 24, I auditioned. I was married very young, which was a mistake, but never mind. I married very young, so I had two children by the time I was 22 years old and divorced in tw- at 23. And at mm. 24, I got a job at the Astor Club in London, which was very famous at that time. It was, yes. Um, for two weeks. And on the fourth night, I was such a hit <laughs> mm. that um, the boss got me in his office and gave me a year's contract Ooh. in by the heart of London. So there I was, star of the Astor Club for a year. You've also performed at Carnegie Hall. Uh, you I have did that with Michael Feinstein. Soundtrack Feinstein. starring Kelsey Grammer. Amazing. Yeah. What movie uh, soundtrack was that? Well, that I didn't have it. Kelsey Grammer was in a movie that um, featured, didn't feature, but had two of my songs in it. Just snippets of them, really. Incredible. So that was that. That's wonderful. And, uh, yeah. And but, um, was, was most of your music music theater, or did you, uh, you mentioned that you also sang in supper clubs and so on. Oh, Which yeah. was your first love? Yeah, um... Piano bars I like best. I was a piano bar artist for years and toured Sweden and Berlin and, uh, oh, a, a month in Paris. And um, <clears throat> I loved Sweden. I love the Swedish people. They are beautiful, very musical people. And, of course, it was during the time I was in London. I got back to London and... Um, it's, I'm jumping this, aren't I? No, I'm sorry, but no, I'm, I'm enjoying uh, it. So many things happen through my my book. Is you, if you get the book, is uh, tells the whole story, and um, ended up back in uh, London, and I worked in a, in a hotel in Grosvenor Square, which is right opposite the uh, American Embassy, for 13 years, and mm. I, that is when I wrote my book. Um, really. Because uh, I wrote my, my musical, I should say. Musical, I correct. I wrote my musical called Ring Out the Bow Bells, and uh, as, as seemed to write a song every week, because every time I invented a character, I had to write them a song. <laughs> and then I'd try them out at the piano bar. And it, so it became a feature of the piano bar, that they'd all come in, stand uh, or sit around my piano bar, six deep sometimes, and um, listen to my songs, and I thought, must be good, because they all loved it, and they'd l- learn it and sing it, and, and so it um, gave me a lot of strength that did. Where was but, your music uh, talent? Where did it come from? What was the foundation? Did you did you study piano and voice as a, a no, young adult? No, I've never just, had a lesson. Really? Really. There are many good musicians that fall in that category. You also have associated with some of those, haven't you? Oh, yes. Yes, and when I was in Paris, I met Billie Holiday. Hmm. And that was incredible. I didn't. 
the thing was that I was this little gal from London uh, booking into Paris during my year at the Astor Club. My boss let me go for a month because people came in and wanted to book me at this jazz club. And the buzz went round when I was playing there that Billie Holiday. And I thought, who's Billie Holiday? I, had, I was so ignorant about the, that sort of thing then, 24 years old. And um, then she came, and at 4.30 in the morning, we had dinner with her, yeah, the other piano player. Mm. So she was something else. I mean, she was. it was 1956, I think, 56. or 54, rather. Right. And she, um, she was not very coherent, really. She did sing for us, though, at the club, and sang, and I was amazed. I mean, I, and since then, I've studied her music and love her. You've had and nothing uh, nothing but just positive things happen in your life, right? I mean, well, are any, yes, any setbacks? Well, yes, except for my love life, darling. Don't even talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, uh, how, how did you overcome any setbacks? I, I've, I've been a creative and have auditioned and uh, been involved in music somewhat, and uh, sometimes it gets a little bit stressful. How do you overcome those stresses? Well, you know, I, twice in my life is the, the worst thing that ever happened to anybody. Um, I was singing uh, in a hotel in Cape Cod, when um, I saw one of my neighbors come in and very worried and in, in, in work clothes to tell me that my little son had been run over. Oh, my. And that, that was in 1958, a beautiful little darling boy. And then in 1978, I was working in London at the Chelsea Hotel in Knightsbridge um, when I saw my husband coming in um, with a worried look on his face, I just finished the gig and was talking to some friends to tell me that he'd had news from California that my my firstborn son had been killed in an accident. Ouch! And that's pretty. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to even talk about now, you know, because I, I, those boys were beautiful. But I've got three beautiful daughters and a grandson and a granddaughter. And your so, daughter participates with you in some of your stage presentations yes, now. Yes, does, yes. Beth Wonderful. Is, she's a great singer. She should have been in the business, really, but it was. Uh, she had to... Uh, she's brilliant. That's <laughs> uh, so all I can say is she's absolutely brilliant. And she acts like my agent now as well as everything else. She takes care of everything. Did you ever have the occasion to meet Duke Ellington or... Any yes, of those, I uh, did. Performers. That was also in Cape Cod, and um, my husband at that time was in the military. I have to confess to you, Jay. I've been married three times, mm -hmm. and now I'm a widow. But um, at that time, we were in the military, and we heard Duke was coming to the the base, and so we've got babysitters, of course, and off we went. Well, I love Duke Ellington's music; always have done, and stuff he writes as well with Billy Strayhorn. And I sing a lot of his stuff. And um, we went, and I said, it's no good. I've got to go backstage. I've got to meet this man. So we did. And believe it or not, he, he said, hello. And he said, what do you do? And I said, well, I, I'm a singer. And he says, oh, really? He said, come and sing with my band. Just right. like that. Just like that. And I said, oh, um, um, I don't think I'd better. I'd had a couple of beers, and I was terrified of making a mistake. <laughs> And he said, well, I, I really think you are a singer. 
what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, frankly, I, I don't really know. And he said, well, I'll tell you what to do. Don't ever deal with a middleman. He said, you make a demo and go to New York and see my producer, Irving Townsend, his name was. Incredible. He said, and tell him I, I recommended you. And uh, so I did. I went to Boston and made this recording. I did, um, um, uh, what's that one called? I can't remember what it was now. Anyway, he loved it, and I, I sat in this huge studio. And when they, when they did recordings in those days, it went straight on to vinyl. Correct. And um, so I ended up making this almost a long player, you know, an LP. And because he kept saying, oh, can we hear another one, Ruth? Can we hear another one? Incredible. <laughs> and so it was very, very uplifting. But I had just had a baby. She was six weeks old. And he said, to, to produce you, Ruth, we have to, you'd have to do every state, you know, travel to, to every state. And I said, no, I can't leave my baby. Mm. And but that was that. You have also, though, just for those who love music and love your style of singing and your, your interpretation of music, you have produced three or four CDs. Yes, yes. Well, the best one is uh, the Ruth Allen songbook, because I was hoping to make more than one. It was volume, volume one. And a full orchestra. I mean, the, the cream of the crop. I've only got three copies left. Mm. And um, I, I, not, I didn't make a penny out of it. But it was even 20 strings on four of the numbers. Fabulous. It's beautifully produced. And the, the arrangements are marvelous. But um, unfortunately, my, the, the guy who was supposedly my publisher at the time really it wasn't well enough known to everybody. The only one who responded was my dear friend, Michael Feinstein. Yes. He sent it to every name he could think of. We, uh, Tony Bennett must have at least three of them. <laughs> and, but he's never, ever, you know, sang one of my songs. But Michael actually called me at home in London and um, asked, uh, he said, this is Michael Feinstein. And I said, oh, sure it is, you know. I uh. said, Nah, it's one of my mates doing, you know. But uh, it was Michael, and he said, Ruth, I think you're a wonderful songwriter. And it was a, oh, the dearest thing. He said, if you ever come to New York, please uh, let it, let me know. So I had his number, and when I did come to New York, I did exactly that. And the next week, his producer called me and said, Ruth, um, Michael's doing a show at Carnegie Hall, and he wants you on it. We're honoring Charles Strauss, Incredible. so we'd like you to do one of your songs and one of for Charlie Strauss. So I said, "Oh, wonderful!" So I did. You've and had there a there was with Michael Fines and at Carnegie uh, Hall. A fas fascinating story. What is going to be the maybe the one story that people will find even more fascinating than what you've shared, or is um, there anything? Well, the fact that I'm still doing it, I guess, <laughs> and I'm appearing here in. Um, in Valencia at a place called Larson's Steakhouse. And Beth and I do um, the first Sunday of the month and the third, every third Friday. And we're we, we just really enjoying it so much. And, of course, we do all the old Cole Porter and songs, Cole Porter, you know, Jerome Curran, Rogers and Hart, all that kind of, 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 that's the only music we ever do. Well, maybe occasionally do a Beatles or something. But, and then my own songs I throw in there, too. They like um, the C 
theme song from my show is uh, "You're Never Too Old." Yes. So, um, which is my theme song. And we we played that of at course. the opening of the of the segment. So that yeah. will that will give people at least a flavoring. Now, you do have a website. <laughs> do you do you want to share yes, your I website? Yes, I do. Yeah. And um, how do Ruth, they get in touch there? Yes, Ruth dot Ruth dash rather like a hyphen yes. Allen. Dot com. Dot com. Com. Correct. Yeah. Your book, where can my listeners get a copy of it and keep in touch? Well, because it, this Amazon, is it's in Amazon. A lot of people have already bought it on Amazon, and it's called I'll Still Be Me by Ruth Allen. And that's a line from one of the songs from my show, which is uh, Would I Still Be Me? And uh, I thought, I'll Still Be Me. It sounds pretty good, so. That's the title it's, of it. It's a fun. And it's doing quite well too. It's a fun book. I, it, it just the cover itself is engaging. You're smiling in both of your photos. Well, that that white piano there is the one that uh, my boss, who was the owner of the Astor Club, uh, made me pick out for myself. Took me shopping really? to a piano store, and as soon as we got it back to the Astor Club. He had these people there who painted it white, oh my. to my horror, because it was a mahogany piano. Oh <laughs> and um, so there it was. And that's, that's my uh, with the big picture, was really a big picture in the entrance to the Astor Club oh. of me at 24 years old. And then on the back of it, I'm honestly myself. <laughs> mm. Congratulations yeah. on completing this and sharing your story. 160 pages. It's not a boring read, people. You need to get a copy of this and uh, connect with Ruth Allen and her music. The title of the book again is I'll Still Be Me, Musical Memoirs of Ruth Allen. Thank you, Ruth, for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. I hope I haven't been boring. Oh, (laughs) you're not boring even a little bit. And for Author Talk, (laughs) this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled, Never Quote the Weather to a Sea Lion, and Other Uncommon Tales, author and founder, Paul Binder, joins us from New York City. Welcome, Paul. Thanks, Jay. Hi. Pleasure visiting with you. I also see there's a forward by Glenn Close. Uh, tell, oh, us yeah. a, tell us a little okay. more of your background and a little more for those who are not familiar with the Big Apple Circus, a little more of that history and, and how this book got to be written. Well, the Big Apple Circus is a wonderful, intimate, theatrical, wandering circus. Our uh, 
We're based in New York City. We actually perform at Lincoln Center in New York. On one side of us is the Metropolitan Opera, the other New York City Ballet. We work in a big top, uh, big top tent, uh, has a, uh, 1,600 seats. Uh, and it's a 12-week run in New York City every year. And then we tour as well. We go to Boston. We go to the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, we go to Atlanta. Uh, and we go to some smaller venues, Central New Jersey and uh, um, um, Queens in New York. And it's, it has a great following, the Big Apple Circus. The, sty- uh, the style of the circus, too, is a little more intimate than the uh, the standard uh, fair, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It, this is one ring, very theatrical, one ring. So uh, the entire audience is sitting around the, uh, the one ring, and it's only 1,600 people uh, in, at any given time. Uh, we, we tend to be full uh, because people really, we have wonderful support in the communities that we, uh, we work. We also have uh, community programming in just about everywhere we work. We, we work in 15 hospitals actually nationwide with our clown care unit, which has clowns visiting the bedsides of acutely and chronically ill children. But these are professional clowns in a professional program and it's year-round in each of those hospitals we're at. Uh, that's our largest community program. In any case, it's a wonderfully, uh, it's a wonderfully theatrical uh, one-ring circus. Paul, uh, as a founder and, and uh, beginner of this, this concept, this idea, did you have a background only in theater, or was it also in the circus arts? Well, I, I graduated from uh, Dartmouth College. I, my first job at Dartmouth College was to uh, become the floor manager for Julia Childs, the Prince Chef. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, she, and she was a wonderful, uh, wonderful to work with. But also, the good news is we got to eat the food that she, <laughs> she cooked. Uh, so we would do a main course show in the morning, you tape it, have that for lunch, and then we'd do a dessert show in the afternoon, and we'd have our dessert and take some home while we were at it. Uh, but that was my first job out of college. I also worked uh, after that um, for Merv Griffin. And eventually, uh, you know, I was on the, working as associate producer of the original Jeopardy! Uh, and then became a booker for the Merv Griffin show. So that was my TV background. Uh, and then from there, I did an audition and became a member of the San Francisco Mind Troupe, which is where I learned how to juggle. And the juggling led me to eventually uh, start the Big Apple Circus. Now, there's a lot in between of that. Uh, I left the Mind Troupe, and with a partner, we took a comedy juggling act from London on the streets, all the way to Istanbul, uh, and made our living that way. Eventually, returning to Paris, and we were recruited into a circus there, and that's how the circus uh, part of my uh, life began. Incredible! And you began this. How long ago was the the beginning of the Big Apple Circus? How many years again? The, has Big, it Apple, been? the Big Apple Circus started. The Big Apple Circus in 1978, uh, and uh, we've grown incredibly since then. We started in New York City, actually um, on a, the landfill that eventually became Battery uh, Park City, for those of you who know New York. Yes. New York yes. And it's always been in a big top, in a tent. We and, do some stage shows occasionally, but that's not our, that's not our central Big Apple Circus. And there is a large stage show, circus-type uh, event that is uh, become well known. Did they not take some of your 
theatrical uh, interpretations and uh, embellish those. And and uh, are you in, are you referring to Cirque du Soleil? I, I am kind there? of. Yeah, I was. Uh, well, yes, yeah, Cirque. Uh, actually, in the early days, Cirque came and we. Uh, uh, Kilo Liberté, who was the founder of Cirque du Soleil, and I had several conferences. We helped them uh, understand uh, what tenting would be like, and they had become this enormous uh, organization, worldwide organization. So, uh, you know, we have roots together. Yes, I, 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 I had that impression that there might be some connection there. The, the title of your book is Engaging, Never Quote the Weather to a Sea Lion, of course, and uh, Glenn Close has uh, has been a, a contributor to your book. What is the motivation behind it? What what was the inspiration in in putting this to print? Well, it, what it is is a group of stories. It's a memoir, but it begins actually uh, with a few uh, notes about my childhood and stories that, that took place in my childhood that influenced um, me to start the Big Apple Circus. And Syria, it's just fresh, delightful stories. Things that I've been had for years, and people urge me, "Oh, you should tell your story." So uh, write a book. Glenn and I met because uh, I was hired, and the Big Apple Circus was hired to train the cast of the original Broadway production of Barnum. Mm-hmm. And uh, Glenn was uh, uh, Charity Barnum. She was uh, Barnum's wife, and uh, as she describes in her introduction, in her uh, preface to the book, a forward. Uh, she says she was terrified because in the script she had to juggle, and she had to juggle while singing in a solo spotlight Ouch. on stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's tough. <laughs> and uh, she said she was terrified, uh, but I was assigned to teach her how to juggle. And from I must tell you, she's a hell of a student. Really? Uh, and it was such a great pleasure. So she writes all about that in the foreword to the book. She she got an earlier edition of the book and said she would be delighted to write a forward. So she's remained a friend over the years. She comes to the Big Apple Circus now with her grandchildren, and it's always a pleasure to see her. She, she's an incredibly uh, bright, uh, energetic woman, and you know, with awards galore and, uh, and uh, movies and theater. Amazing talent. Uh, share a couple of the stories that you've uh, included in your book that you think might be uh, kind of a teaser, get people interested in your book. Well, there are all kinds of uh, things. You know, I, that's one that I was thinking of that just came to mind was uh, we, our elephant trainer for many years was uh, William Woodcock, Jr., uh, who was known as Buckles. And uh, Buckles, uh, uh, he was brilliant. Uh, he had uh, one great elephant named Anna Bay, who, who was world, literally world-renowned in circus because she was such a great performer and clearly enjoyed doing it. So uh, one season, we decided to create an act. We create acts all the time, new and fresh material, even though the artists uh, you know, bring, uh, bring their own material and own acts. But we create with them, take their act, we put it in a, in a form, a shape, in this case, it was an Indian wedding, mm-hmm. not, a, not an American Indian, India, Indian. Indian. And he had a pair of elephants, and on top of them, there was a padre, two beautiful performers doing acrobatics on the elephants. Ouch. And uh, we dressed him, you know, with a turban and a long yes, uh, yes, swami, a coat and beautiful shoes, and he, he, you know, he walks alongside and handles the elephants. And he, I was all it was a beautiful act. And one day he walked up to me and he said, uh, 
He's, oh, I sent the videotape to my mother last night, and uh, she, I spoke to her on the phone this morning, uh, and he said, I said, hey, well, what'd she think? She said, she told me I look like a goddamn salt shaker. <laughs> Leave it to family members to keep you grounded. <laughs> and I said, Bill, oh, well, um, okay, well, you know, I would say you're always been a seasoned performer. So uh, <laughs> you never know what mom going to say when you create acts. But that was only one of many. You know, dozens of the, the book starts with me when I was four years old. My mother took me to the Macy's parade. Mm. Um, and uh, we got there. I, I was born and raised in Brooklyn. We came in by subway. By the time we got there to see the parade, the crowd was five deep. And uh, so she asked the guy in the second row, a tall man, she said, would you mind if my son, now remember I was four years old, sat, right. on, sat on your shoulders. And uh, he said, no, he was a terrific man. I got on his shoulders, watched the parade. It was exciting and it, you know, left deep impressions. And that was that, except that six months later, we went to the movies. Uh, my sister, my mother, and I to uh, see Miracle on 34th Street, the original Miracle on 34th Street, yes. which opens opens with the uh, Yates Parade. And uh, about three or four minutes into the film, my mother jumped to her feet, pointed to the screen, and said, It's Paul! It's my <laughs> son, Paul! And there I was, on the screen, really? sitting behind uh, Edmund Gwen. They took a shot of Edmund Gwen, who was one of the stars of yes. Chris Pringle. And uh, there is a little guy with ear flaps watching the parade. Incredible. Clear as a bell. I, you know, I have a, uh, I got a screenshot of it, uh, a, a one-frame screenshot. And there I was with my, uh, with my smile on my face enjoying the Macy's parade. Well, I've seen that. I saw it then, and I saw it many times afterwards in various forms. It left a deep impression I would think. <laughs> there I was on the giant screen, and uh, I think uh, it, I think in some way it, it was uh, it was the seeds of becoming a performer and becoming uh, uh, creating the Big Apple Circus. What a phenomenal start! I mean, you also have had, <laughs> you also have included stories about Paul Newman and Robin Williams, Robert De Niro. Uh, anything yeah. in there that uh, might find uh, its way into the hearts of our our listeners? I, I, I love the, uh, Paul Newman. Uh, it would come every year, very often with uh, the Hole in the Wall gang, mm. uh, which was, of course, his camp. And uh, they used it as a fundraiser for the Apple Circus. They brought people and made money that way. And uh, But he'd come. One year, he called up and he said, Paul, I'd love to be in the show. And I said, well, <laughs> so come at 1030 <laughs> on uh, Saturday morning. That was the day of the show. And we can rehearse you into a bit. And you can be in it well. He came, we did the rehearsal, it was called Clown School, which uh, people are taught how to do the clown trick, mm -hmm. and which means you walk along, your foot catches, you stumble, and you roll over, you hit the ground and roll over. Yes. And uh, there it was, he and, and he's dressed as a clown. He, the clown school had several clowns that would do the clown trick before someone in the audience would do it. So he came into the ring dressed as a clown, he had makeup on, uh, red nose, and I'll tell you what, a lot of the people in the audience recognized him immediately because you couldn't disguise the blue eyes, mm. you know. And there he was. And he, they already knew that Paul Newman was a part of that organization. But anyway, he, got, he, he walked through. It was time for him to do the clown trick. He fell down. He stood up. Everybody cheered. I revealed that it was Paul Newman out of the ring. He, he goes. And that's, 
you know, and it was a great moment. Incredible. The loved the fact that Paul was in it. Well, the next year, I called him up and I said, hey, Paul, would you, uh, would you want to be in the show again next year? And he said, not on your life. <laughs> he said, do you know last year when I did that clown trip, I broke my elbow? <gasps> my. Oh. <laughs> so we, we broke Paul Newman's elbow. Nonetheless, he kept coming to the show. Man. Because actually, he did make one other appearance uh, a few years after that. But he I, didn't I, have to hit the ground. So he was very happy with it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I. He he quoted as saying uh, he fell into some elephant exhaust or something. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think that would have been worse. I don't been, know which is worse. Don't know which worse. You have some amazing yeah. stories, and and they all are. There's a lot of humor. There's a lot of uh, insightful uh, views in your in your stories that you tell. What is the the one thing you want people to take away from reading this besides the obvious? Well, yeah, I think I think it's just a sense of joy and the joy that uh, I've gotten in my life from working with wonderful people. Yes, yeah, Paul Newman, Robin Williams, and many celebrities, but uh, the, of working with circus performers who are simply some of the most amazing people in the world. They're very kind of ordinary people, and then suddenly they they transform and do these extraordinary things. You know, and the lesson learned is. Uh, with the discipline and the focus and the uh, constant patience and practice, these people become extraordinary. And you know, I think the message of uh, the circus done right and good circus artists is uh, each of us is capable of extraordinary uh, things in our life. Um, and from the response of our audience over the year, and they come back, very loyal audiences come back and see it again. It brings them that kind of stimulus to their life, the realization that as a human being they can do extraordinary things. So that, that's embedded in the book. It's all part of uh, what uh, these stories tell us. Reflections of uh, some very joyful experiences. The title of the book, again, is Never Quote the Weather to a Sea Lion. And other uncommon tales from the founder of the Big Apple Circus, Paul Binder, with Ford by Glenn Close. Uh, Paul, where can my listeners get a copy of this beautiful, beautiful book? Uh, Amazon sells it. Amazon.com sells it. Or you can go to my website, uh, PaulBinderCircus.com, and order it. Uh, and I'll send you a signed copy if you do that. If you send it to me, I'll be happy to send you a signed copy with a small discount. Uh, postage paid. <laughs> so wow. by all means, come that way, PaulBinderCircus.com. Fabulous. 216 pages, wonderfully written. Thank you, Paul, for the insight, not only to your life, but also into the, the wonderful background story of the Big Apple Circus. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Jay. It's a pleasure. My pleasure for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker.